This is On and Off Your Mat Podcast, episode 51, Becoming a Yoga Teacher. My name is Erica, and I'm your host. For this episode, I sat down with Noah Maze. Noah co-founded his school, The Maze Method, with his wife, Tracy, nearly a decade ago. Together, they have pioneered training content to enhance and sharpen the skills of yoga teachers around the world. Noah serves as faculty for teacher training internationally and acts as a consultant to corporations that are developing yoga education programs. He is a regular presenter at Wanderlust festivals and contributes to publications including Yoga International, Yoga Journal, and more. He offers online classes at Yoga International as well, uh, Wanderlust TV, and OMSTAR, and offers a vast area of online content via his own website. As always, I really appreciate your support with this podcast. If you enjoy it, you can get even more content, exclusive episode, tutorial, guided meditation, and much more if you become a VIP member. So know that you can make a big difference even with a small donation. You can help me cover production costs and allow me to continue this podcast. So if you'd like to support me in this, you enjoy it, please visit patreon.com slash on and off your mat and become a VIP member. And as a thank you, you'll get access to all that exclusive content every month. Okay, you ready? Let's get to our episode of today with Noah. Hi, Noah. Hi. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Happy to be here. So, Noah, for listeners that don't know you very well, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your journey as we start? Sure. Oh, my name is Noah Maze, and I've, I'm based in Los Angeles, California. I live here with my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, grew up in Boulder, Colorado. And kind of yoga, yoga background, um, you know, my parents became interested in practitioners of, of Indian yoga philosophies and practices from really before I was born. Um, they, they are to this day, um, meditators. Um, so the, you know, the tradition that I was kind of raised with is is more on the meditation side Mm. of the yoga spectrum um but i definitely grew up with with yogic practices with the teachings with um you know the symbolism the iconography uh all of that and uh, it wasn't really until i i was a teenager when i kind of found asana yoga um hatha yoga and for me that it it was a, you know, kind of a benchmark in my own yoga journey mm-hmm. um, because, you know, in traditions of meditation, they, they aren't as inclusive of one's physical somatic identity, right? So I remember thinking like that I had my spiritual practices and then I also played sports, right? And I had my kind of physical practices, um, and that those were, you know, obviously there's an overlap, like mm-hmm. all, all yogic practices are somatic. Um, but, but it wasn't until I, I kind of found Hatha yoga, asana yoga, um, that, that I realized like, wow, these can actually overlap so much more. And that, you know, the, the affirmation of one's physical embodiment, the, you know, even the athletic aspects of, postural yoga like that we can work on handstands and back bends and you know all of these things with the mindfulness with the philosophical aspects with the symbolism and you know breath awareness and you know all of the rest is there is doesn't go away it's still there um so for me it was 
you know, I, the, the experience of, of feeling, of feeling much more whole and, mm-hmm. and integrated and home, like right? mm-hmm. that it can all live together, right? That it, it's that, you know, yogic practice or what we might call spiritual practice doesn't need to be different than the rest of your life. Um, so that, you know, the, the communities that I was involved in have led me to, you know, to be in relationship with a number of teachers, um, you know, both on the philosophical and mythological side of things, as well as the postural yoga asana side of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I became a, a student of Richard Freeman and, you know, my hometown of Boulder, Colorado, that, that was the local yoga studio. And so, you know, I started going to Richard Freeman's level one classes on Wednesday afternoon and Sunday mornings with my mom. Oh. And, uh, you know, that was just part of, part of our weekly routine. That was Ashtanga. Ashtanga. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, studied with a number of the teachers at, at Richard and Mary's studio mm-hmm. there in Boulder, um, for a number of years and also became a student of John Friend in, in what was kind of the emergent style, um, kind of compilation formulation that became called Anasara Yoga. Mm-hmm. Um, I was there, you know, those, in those kind of very early times. And, you know, that, that really gave me a good, a good amount of, you know, focus and community. And for many, many years, I was a licensed and certified Anasara yoga teacher. Um, that community exploded, imploded, you know, mm-hmm. around 2012. And, you know, that was my, my time to kind of step away. And, you know, and 2012, 2013 was, you know, again, at a time of you know, kind of reminiscent of now in some ways in, in terms of crisis and, and, you know, forced creativity (laughs) that, that, you know, in stepping away from a branded style of yoga, um, I had no desire to call what I was practicing and teaching anything in particular, Mm -hmm. you know, I was like, can we just call it yoga? Um, and people ask, well, what kind of yoga do you, you know, what do you do? I'm a yoga teacher. What kind of yoga do you teach? Uh, yoga, the yoga kind of yoga. Um, and I was, I was kind of over, you know, the, the branding of, of styles of yoga, um, which, you know, is one thing for me to make that choice, you know, as, as myself and, and as a teacher. Um, but it was, not as satisfying for people that were studying with me that, um, you know, the had label. The need, yeah. Like, well, had the need to like have, have a name for something, you know, have a label for something. And, and in talking to a number of people that had much more marketing and branding experience than, than I did, um, I came to understand that so much of marketing and branding is an outside in perspective mm-hmm. and understandably I I was very much in my inside out perspective like this is you know this is what it is for me this is real this is important and you know these are the things that I'm I'm hoping to continue to share um, but it was explained to me that whether or not I decided on a name and called it something um, the marketplace is going to do that 
they're going to, you know, they're going to label you and they're going to put you in a box. They go, oh, you do that. Or in, you know, in the realm of yoga, you know, that's where you go. Um, so whether or not you're going to do that for yourself, the world will do that for you and to you. Yeah. I go, okay, that makes sense. And, and that, you know, calling it something or having that kind of outside in perspective doesn't need to be in too much conflict with the inside out identity of, of me, of, of the thing. Um, and so that made sense to me. Right? So I was like, okay, we can call it something. <laughs> and so we've, you know, we've gone now through a, a few different kind of, you know, partnerships and, and, you know, business formulations that, that have meant that the name has changed a little bit. Right. But, but now we call our school the Maze method. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, we offer trainings um, both in person and online, and we have an online, you know, virtual studio and virtual yoga classroom, teacher training room um, that's called Maison Yoga, which is, Maze, my last name, but mm-hmm. also the play of the French. Um, and yeah, it's it's been, you know, it's been an interesting journey and continues to be, mm-hmm. right, as we navigate you know, as we navigate ourselves and our lives and, you know, different seasons of life and different priorities along the way and, you know, the different kind of political and, and you know, different climates in the world, right? And social, political, totally. cultural realms as well. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's, I'd say, you know, that my, what really interests me about yoga and, and, you know, I'm passionate about, and even, you know, my teaching approach evolves and changes, um, which I think is, is a normal and and healthy thing, right? I think like, as, Mm -hmm. as we know more, um, we should look at some of the, you know, we should look at the things that we've been doing from previous, you know, benchmarks of knowledge and experience and, and bring that, you know, more information and more evidence to, to go like, okay, do I keep doing it the way I was doing it or, or because now this is a part of my knowledge and experience, does that change things? But that's the beauty of calling it the Maze method because whatever you want to, however you want to make it evaluate, it's still yours and it's still you and you will never be out of that branding. You know, it's not like you have a label where it's like, oh, it is Anasura or it is this or it is that. And then you can't really do like as much creative stuff as you might want to explore with. Yeah. And I, you know, I saw this is just my perspective on, on the Anasara community and John Friend um, that, that I saw, you know, in, in those, what I'm going to call the earlier years, I saw a lot of creativity happening. And then as that community grew and grew and grew and, you know, had more and more teachers that were part of that community. And, you know, there, there was understandably the need to, to kind of standardize things mm-hmm. more and more. Um, and, you know, I get, you know, I totally get that. Like, you know, there needs to be some consistency and, and you know, standards across the spectrum. Um, and what that also resulted in, again, from my perspective, it was less creativity, right? More, you know, more of a, like a default method of teaching, even a, a kind of default sequence. Mm-hmm. Right? That, mm-hmm. um, I go, oh, well, that's interesting. Like that, that, you know, that 
the kind of process and period of creativity can then become so standardized and, you know, in, kind of in needing to be repeated and reproduced by other people around the world and other places and other cultures that, that at what point does that limit the livingness of it, right? Of change and adaptation and like do things differently, mm -hmm. right? And if, if you're a teacher of someone else's brand of yoga, um, how much creativity do you have really, right? Like if, if it's not called what you've decided to call it, it's called what someone else has decided to call it, right? There's, you know, again, there's always that, that, I think necessary tension of being involved in community, being involved in relationships, being involved in, in lineage and also making a contribution, right? Adding, like adding yourself into it in ways that, that is not just conforming yourself to, you know, some outside in yeah. requirement or, or perspective. Mm-hmm. Now a lot of your focus is on teaching teachers to become, or like students to become teachers. Um, yeah. How do you ignite that love of teaching and that motivation that comes from inside into those students as they become teachers to keep that desire for creativity and to keep that desire to grow as a teacher and stay really, you know, into it? Well, for me, the You know, my my spark with that and, and what I hope to, you know, to kind of facilitate in other people's experience mm -hmm. is is that, you know, you know something the most you maximize your learning when you attempt to teach it to others. Mm -hmm. So because I'm a perpetual student of the yoga traditions, um, being a teacher kind of constantly refreshes myself as a student, my identity as, as a student of these things. Um, you know, for someone who's, say, considering a yoga teacher training, you, you don't need to know that you want to be a teacher, right? You, there's going to be, very likely in our programming, certainly there's going to be times in that teacher training where you're going to be training as a teacher, um, whether or not, you know, on the, on the other side of the training, if you're going to position yourself as a yoga teacher in the marketplace, mm -hmm. many, mm -hmm. many do, of course, and some, and some don't. Um, and that's perfectly fine. Right. So, you know, giving people permission to be wherever they're at, to have their goals for themselves and holding space for them to, you know, to evolve and change in their goals. And some, some folks come into a teacher training knowing that they want to be a teacher. Mm -hmm. And then at some point they go, well, maybe not so much. Like maybe this isn't for me. Other folks aren't sure, uh, you know, and still other folks are pretty sure they, they're not in it to become a teacher, but at some point or at various, you know, thresholds along the way, they go, you know what, <laughs> this is interesting for me. Like this, I like this challenge and I, you know, maybe I have a knack for this, maybe, you know, that that my version of teaching yoga is, you know, is really interesting to me and to others. Mm -hmm. so, I think a lot of time when we come into these trainings, we have assumption of what being a yoga teacher is. And then oftentimes we realize that it's not 
all we thought, or it's more than we expected, or it's different than we expected. In your opinion, what does it take to be a successful new teacher when you get out of the training, or how? What does success look like as a yoga teacher when we start? Well, you know, we can consider that from lots of different perspectives. You know, that that what does success look like? I'd say that's going to largely depend on what that person's goals are for that, you know, for themselves mm -hmm. and, and you know, for that, that say facet of their identity. Um, for some folks, it's, you know, teaching their family and teaching their, you know, within their kind of peer group. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's, that's fulfilling for them and enough of a challenge and they're not, They're, they don't have the goals for themselves of, of getting on the schedule at the yoga studio. Mm -hmm. um, for other folks, they do have that goal, right? Then, then they want to, you know, get a job, you know, get hired as a yoga teacher. Yeah. Right? And that would look like, you know, furthering those relationships at the studios that, you know, that you are interested in, in a further relationship and even a business relationship with, you know, a teaching relationship with, um, So then, you know, my advice would be like, if, if the owner of that studio teaches at that, like, go take that person's classes. If you don't already, like, be, be a really impeccable student mm, there. Mm -hmm. Like, impress them with your studentship. Um, and that's probably going to make a good impression, you know, should you at some point say, hey, you know, I'm, you know, kind of applying for a job, right? And that will sometimes mean they'll ask you to teach an audition class. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, should you satisfy what, what their expectations are yeah. right, of that class, then, then maybe you, you get on the sub list. And then from the sub list, when, you know, when a slot opens up, right, you're, you're there to, to move into that. Um, and one of the challenging things in that process is that, is that, there's so much diversity in yoga right? that, you know, someone's training may or may not have specifically trained them to, to the standards and expectations at that specific studio. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and that there really are not standards across the board. And right? there, you know, there's just so much diversity in, you know, modern yoga and modern postural yoga, that, you know, it's like how many different types of apples are they are there? And, and some types of apples are, are more closely resemble and taste like and look like each other. And then, and then some are more different. And then it's perhaps not even just different types of apples, but other fruit. And not to kind of, with, with affection and respect, you know, there's kundalini yoga. And kundalini yoga is maybe less of another type of apple yeah. and maybe more like an orange, but it's called yoga also. And, you know, in a lot of studios, it, it lives on the schedule with, you know, on the menu of offerings. Mm -hmm. right? yeah. and, and so, you know, depending on the studio and depending on the diversity of the menu of offerings, um, you know, any, any one of us, like our training and our background may make us more suited to teach well that kind of class and perhaps not as much that kind of class totally right? and and then you know the, then the learning continues well if you want to 
you know, if, that's in, if teaching that kind of class and those practices and that organization is, is interesting to you, well, there's training to do that. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it really just continues. I think, you know, what, what a lot of folks realize at, at various points along the way of, say, a 200-hour yoga teacher training, I think that, that folks go into that process thinking about, like, how much time that is. Like, wow, 200 hours, you know, am I going to be able to like do that much yoga? Um, I go, I'm going to learn everything. I'm going to learn everything about yoga and I'll know it all. I'll be able to do those things that I can't do yet. Um, maybe I'm a little nervous about that. Um, and then I'm going to be a yoga teacher and I'll, I'll know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and, what, and what folks realize, you know, various tipping points along the way is like, well, there's so much, there's so much more. And yeah. just really scratching the surface, you know, that, that there's way more beneath the surface than, than we knew before, mm-hmm. right? So, so as you advance the project of knowledge, right, you know more, what also advances is the horizon of your ignorance. Like, yeah. you know more about how much more there is that you don't know. I go, this is way bigger than I, than I thought. I yeah, you that. never catch up, really. You never catch up. And that, you know, and that is, a, for me, a beautiful and exciting thing. Um, because it means that we can always learn. Right? We're, never, we're never done. We're never finished. There's always more. And so the invitation to what more there is, is that kind of invitation to engage your heart, to be courageous, to you know, to be, to be a heroic yogi. Mm-hmm. And um, without the desire to become, you know, the perfect apple that is exactly the same as the apple next to you, without fitting into necessarily like the box of what your teacher is doing, how do a student move from being a good student to becoming a good yoga teacher? What's that transition like? Or what, what makes a good yoga teacher in your opinion? Well, lots of things, but... You know, to be to be authentic to yourself and to you know to kind of own you know own your your voice and you know what you know and also own what you don't know, right? Own your experience and then and be honest about what is not your experience. Like make make no greater claim than what than what you can really claim, right? Than mm-hmm. what belongs to you. Um, so there's that you know, that kind of ratio of confidence and also humility, right? Like knowing that there's so much that you don't know, knowing that you don't know and knowing what you know. Um, and, and to think like a teacher, right? To, to kind of, in a sense, try to pull the curtain back. Like when you're a student in, in a yoga class, um, don't just be a student in that yoga class, you know, see if you can kind of peek behind the curtain, so to speak, and go, well, what's, you know, all the things that that teacher is considering to make the choices that they're making, the Mm -hmm. sequence that they're teaching, the instructions that they're giving. Um, The more you can have multiple perspectives, right? And a perspective of, of thinking like a teacher, um, the more you're 
going to learn, you know, the more you're going to kind of maximize your learning when you're a student in, you mm-hmm. know, in those yoga classes and, and environments. Um, and there, of course, is great value. And I think also necessary stages in the process of teaching of repetition and regurgitation, right? That, you know, we, we all say things that our teachers have said to us. Yes. Right? So there's that kind of fake it until you make it principle, right? Of, you know, when someone asked the, the actor Spencer Tracy what, you know, what the secret to great acting is, um, I'll probably misquote this, but Spencer Tracy said, know your lines, hit your marks, and try not to bump into the furniture, <laughs> right? But there's a certain amount of like, know your lines and hit your marks, right? And your lines might be what someone else has said, right? Um, so you know, repeating things that others have said, repeating things that have worked for you, you know, as a student, to repeat those as a teacher, I think there's, there's, you know, there's value to that. And then at points along the way, it, it becomes, it transforms Mm -hmm. to not just something someone else said that you're repeating, but it comes through as you, it comes through in your voice even if the words are more or less the same, right? Of please take a wide stance. <laughs> please take a wide stance. Well, that's not the most creative thing I could say. That's a pretty, you Efficient, know, standard, direct, yeah. direct sentence. Um, I've been taught that lots of times, right? But, but I, I say it not just as, as quoting someone else's words, but I say it as me. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then as, as you go further and further, then it's the understand, like, what does that mean? Or what, what does someone mean with that? And is that the most effective, you know, what, what would most effectively communicate that point? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then you go, Oh, maybe I could say it differently. Or if you can understand the intent behind the instruction, um, and understand more about, say, you know, the anatomy and kinesiology of that, or the philosophy, the energetics behind it, you know, depending on what the instruction is, um, then you're advancing your project of knowledge and understanding, which will very likely correspond to you have more ways to facilitate that happening. Other ways to say that, so that, so that, you know, if the know your lines and hit your marks, if that's not working as well in that class for those students, right, you've got, you've got more options available to you. You've got further tools mm-hmm. right? rather than, well, uh, let me just say it again. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. Um, so curiosity, dev- developing the way you speak, finding your own voice, those are all important things when you start. How, how do you pick the right training for you, whether it's your 200 or you're at your 300 now or you're continuing? Um, how do you know which training is right for you? Or what would you say about your, you know, your method in a way of training teachers? How is that different? Or you know, what's your elevator pitch right here? <laughs> okay, okay. Well, I, I would say that you know, there's, there's kind of an initial fork in the road um, with yoga styles and yoga trainings. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the approaches that I'm going to 
refer to more as the advocacy approaches or, or advocating for a certain way to do it. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, that might, that might, but doesn't need to kind of manifest as a set sequence, right? Like here's the sequence. This is the, you know, this sequence will fulfill all the things that can be fulfilled. Um, and so then you're, you're more like, you're learning a sequence and learning to teach that sequence rather than learning the principles behind that sequence, mm-hmm. right? Or say methods of sequencing. And, um, so, you know, is, is that program advocating for a certain perspective and a way of doing it? Or is it more of an educational program right that that gives you knowledge and skills so that you can do it yourself mm-hmm. right? it opens the curtain for you yeah it opens the curtain for you yeah um so i would say you know for for myself as a teacher and our trainings you know our, our school um we're very much invested in the educational agenda mm-hmm. and not much invested in the the advocacy agenda right so I don't seek to control what, how you teach your classes. Um, I do seek to facilitate the best education that I can facilitate so that you have your education um, and you're empowered to make your choices, right? To put it together in the ways that you put it together. So understanding um, what you're doing and especially why you're doing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, yeah. Why you're doing what you're doing and and then if the what you're doing is not as effective in that time and place, then you have other other tools, other, you know, other options available to you, um, you know, to to innovate and change and, um, you know, keep it going. Um, I think that for folks considering 200-hour teacher trainings, and in, in the marketplace, 200-hour trainings are is, is the kind of entry level. Mm-hmm. And those are often marketed as, you know, as a couple of things marketed as deepen your practice and learn to teach. Um, so it's, you know, kind of an immersive experience and also a vocational training, right? Like learn to be a yoga teacher. Um, I think most folks take their first 200 hour training in the studio, in the community that they're, that they're kind of already practicing in. Mm-hmm. Right? And that, and that makes good sense to me um, because, you know, if, if you're a student of that studio and not other studios, then, you know, those are your teachers that, you know, those are your people, that's your community. And you're very likely to, to consider that teacher training and not other teacher trainings. Yeah. Um, then you know, this is, I'm, I'm quoting a few different students of mine over the years that they'll say, you learn way more from a 200-hour teacher training when you've already done a couple of 200-hour teacher trainings. <laughs> yeah. Because it's, you know, when it's, when it's new, there's, you know, it can be, it can be overwhelming, right? There's, you know, you're going to be able to receive a certain amount of that, but then there's going to be more that's like, whoa, okay, I got, you know, I'm not ready for that, or, or I'm, I'm so full, 
you know, that I feel saturated. Um, and then if you do it again and do it again and do it again, then you're going to keep learning more that perhaps was available to you before in, in your first experience or earlier experiences, but you were so saturated already. Yeah. Right? Um, so, you know, so when you stay with it, your capacity to be receptive, your capacity to receive increases um, and becomes multidimensional because you've already got pieces of it in place already, right? And so, go, okay, I got that, I got that. Oh, I didn't get that. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I, you know, that can go into a framework of understanding experience that is already in place for someone. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I think as, as folks, you know, get those, initial teacher training experiences, their world gets bigger and they realize it's, it's, it's a bigger world than they knew that it was. And they thought that it was. Um, and then they kind of look around and go like, wow, there's, you know, it, perhaps they become a more informed consumer in the marketplace. Um, and I mean that, you know, with, with due respect that, you know, not all apples are the same apples. Yeah. Um, and it's not a better or worse, you know, training over there, training over there, training over there, but it can be different flavors for different, you know, different times. Um, the, what I say for our programming, the, you know, one of the, one of our challenges, but I think this is also our advantage, um, is because we don't have, you know, in our kind of current phase, uh, we don't have a weekly class studio where we are hiring yoga teachers to teach at. Um, so that means that if you train with us, it's, it's not likely to result in, in you getting a job through you at yeah. our studio. Yeah. Right? Um, so that can be a disadvantage um, for, you know, for our school, but I think it is simultaneously our advantage because I'm not training you to teach that Tuesday morning class or that Thursday afternoon class. I'm that frees me up to, to really have more of an educational agenda to, you know, to prepare you to be a yoga teacher in the marketplace or for already existing yoga teachers who seek continuing education. Totally. I'd say that, you know, for our school that, you know, we, we are more of a continuing education school for yoga teachers. Um, and that I, I do more 300 hour, 500 hour and thousand hour kind of level trainings than I do 200 hour trainings that introduce people for the very first time to skills of yoga. Mm -hmm. Every training has things in common, right? There's like subjects that you can't really go and not teach. So what are those big blocks that people can expect in no matter what the training is? Well, there'll be the, you know, the kind of primary buckets, if you will, curricular buckets of, you know, asana practice, Mm -hmm. pranayama practice, meditation practice. So the practices of yoga um, and then yoga philosophy and ethics anatomy, kinesiology, applied biomechanics, um, you know, presence of teacher, ethics of being a teacher, Mm -hmm. and, you know, self-reflection and contemplation. 
So there are those, you know, and, and Yoga Alliance and other organizations have their, you know, their kind of, you know, buckets of, you know, you need, you need at least this many hours of anatomy, this many hours of yoga philosophy, this many hours of ethics, this many hours of um, teaching skills, practicum, and so on. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are those, you know, the, the kind of outline of, of category of information, and then kind of a, an amount of time dedicated to that. Yeah. But there is not really detail within there. Mm-hmm. Right? So the, you know, there's a lot of diversity in, in different sure. training programs in terms of the content within that category, um, because there is so much in there, right? There's so many possibilities. Um, not everyone's, not everyone's, you know, doling out that information or facilitating that education in the same way. Yeah. So right? which is which is beautiful and, you know, but then can also be like, you know, as, as kind of a broader yoga community, um, you know, we're always having conversations about like standards and, you know, baselines of information and is that covered and, and is that covered and how is that covered? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So can we go through the different categories and like kind of burst question answer situation and give a few tips for like, if I tell you, anatomy what's one thing about the body that either like fascinates you or that's missed often or essential to know like that one thing that you love to tell students like oh did you know <laughs> okay okay i'll try <laughs> anatomy physiology or biomechanics one fact fun fact 206 more or less bones <laughs> 900 plus pairs of muscles Right. And then and then the rest. It's it's beautiful and sophisticated and complex. This this organism of the body. Totally. Um, Alignment. What's one cue that's misunderstood or misused in with new teachers or with students in general? One cue you have to go over again and again when you. (laughs) Well, I think that that even the the term alignment can be used in so many different ways Mm. and understood and misused Um, that, you know, what's alignment, what's misalignment, that the alignment might be the shape of the pose that we're going for and that any deviation from the shape that we're going for could be called a misalignment. But a misalignment doesn't mean bad, doesn't mean wrong, doesn't mean injury. It just, it might just be, hey, that's not what we're going for. We're going for this. This is alignment, mm-hmm. right? So um, whatever we label as alignment may well be limited to a specific context. We're going for warrior two and the knee, bend the knee over the ankle is the alignment that we're going for, but it's not to say that any other position of knee in relationship to ankle is wrong mm-hmm. or shouldn't do it, right? So we can get too narrow, but sometimes we can get narrow with, totally. with the term alignment. I like that. Or, or moral, like good and bad or right or wrong. Yeah, but it's not because you're doing something that's not the official dictated alignment that you're not being super clever and super intelligent about it. Yeah, yeah. That our bodies, you know, go back to kind of point one is that our bodies are sophisticated and complex and amazing and resilient, and that we move in all sorts of ways, and that you know, 
And it's not a fits-all practice, one-size-fits-all. Yeah. Exactly. And that, you know, we'll need different things at different times of our own lives. Great tip. Uh, Sequencing. One tip for more efficient or better intelligent sequencing. Well, know what you want to accomplish Mm. and how to best accomplish that. Like, what kind of a class is it? What kind of a sequence are you constructing? If it's a peak pose sequence, a peak pose would be something of significant difficulty. It's going to take some, some, you know, careful and dedicated preparation in order to arrive there and be successful. at that And safe. Plan backwards from there. Oh, how are you going to get there? You want to get, you want to climb that mountain. How much time do you have? Um, <laughs> how difficult is it? And, and then, you know, plan accordingly. Mm-hmm. Um, Prayanama, subtle body meditation. What's one thing to remember as a new teacher? Because there's so much on on our plates when you start as a new teacher. What do we do with this when we start? <laughs> what do we do with this? Okay, well, uh, start with pranayama. The pranayama, we can translate that term as discipline or control of the breath or regulation of the breath. Um, but, you know, poke that a little bit, question that a little bit, because our who's in charge of our breath? Like, who's in charge of the breath, right? Your breath is breathing you now, whether or not you're noticing Right? So mm-hmm. waking consciousness, dreaming, deep sleep, your breath is breathing you already and has been for a very long time. So we're not in control of that. That's the gift of life. That's prana. And so how we might come into relationship with life force, with prana, right? And, and kind of realize that I'm breathing. The awareness that you are breathing is the yogic practice that we call pranayama. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to always mean or too quickly mean take control. Oh, I'm breathing and now I'm going to, you know, inhale through my left nostril mm-hmm. and exhale through. I'm going to dictate the term, my terms to the breath. Uh, it starts in that more, much more receptive um, feminine encoding, if you will, of Realize that it's already happening and, you know, life is living you. Your breath is breathing you. And would you like to come further into relationship with, with those energies? So keep it simple to start. Keep it simple. Yeah. yeah. Like less is more. Less is more because your breath is already breathing you. And, and that, you know, it would be kind of arrogant to say, well, you know, now I'm in charge and I'll discipline the breath. Your breath is really good at doing what it does. Mm-hmm. We often study texts. I mean, we always study some texts in the teacher trainings. Um, yeah. And I think the two texts that are mostly represented are the Bhagavad Gita and the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. If you have to choose one, which one do you choose? Bhagavad Gita, Why? hands down. Why? It's... Arjuna and Krishna are the, the characters in conversation. Arjuna is a householder. He's a warrior. He's, he's got a family. Um, and he's faced with a very difficult and, and kind of unwanted situation, you know, of the battlefield and, and you know, the, the storm is coming. Um, and he wants to leave. He wants out. He doesn't want to do it. And 
and his companion and charioteer, Krishna, Lord Krishna, argues in lots of ways, they're having a conversation, um, in lots of ways to keep Arjuna from running away. Arjuna is overwhelmed and wants to give up, wants to run away, and Krishna won't let him. So that whole thing, consider that whole thing is a metaphor for life. We will all get overwhelmed and, and maxed out and go, ah, freak out. And, and can we just run away? Can I just hide? Mm-hmm. Um, so I relate to that. I relate to that. And, and the, you know, who is Krishna? Well, Krishna is whatever voice, outer voice, inner voice gets through to you mm. in those freakouts. Right? I've gone, you know what? This is your life. Like, welcome to your life. So figure out how to stay in it, how to stay on the field, because what would running away be? Are you going to leave your family? You know, mm-hmm. like where would you go? Like wherever you could go is still going to be the world. You're still going to be yourself. You're going to have to deal with that. Right. So Krishna is whatever, whatever the voice that gets through to you that says, that says you're going to have to deal with this. What's your favorite uh, translation? Um, I far prefer the Dutch Sanskritist translator, J.A.B. Van Boytenen, mm. uh, who it was his life's project to translate the entire epic Mahabharata, um, and he didn't, he didn't finish it. He died mm. before he completed that. Um, but the, you know, that translation puts things into paragraphs, much like a conversation is, rather than you know, individual verses in, you know, in Shloka Mira, which is, you know, 32 syllables per verse, right? So when it's just pulled out into a bunch of verses, it's, you know, you get the meter of it and the poetry of it. um, But one thought might be 10 verses long. And, you know, so I, I like Van Boytenen's translation because you get that in a paragraph, right? But he's, of course, choosing where to put the paragraph markers, right? Every, every translation is an interpretation, right? Um, and some translators have more of an agenda in their interpretation, right? They, won't, they, they want it to say what they want it to say, and they're going to translate it accordingly, mm-hmm. right? And some translators have more of a, you know, like less of an advocacy, agenda and more of a can we capture the spirit of the conversation agenda mm-hmm. great that was a great little like intro to here's teacher training in five minutes <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> to tease people with it mm-hmm. um there was one other question i wanted to ask you particularly to the situation that we are living in right now for all the teachers out there that are now are streaming on zoom for the first time in their life or they're recording their classes and that's new for them uh, with the shelter in place, how can they use this as a time to grow, right? Like they can record and watch themselves. Like how can we use this as a, really a tool to become better teachers? Well, there's a lot of forced creativity happening right now. So, you know, with, whether or not it was on someone's, you know, list of goals for this year to go like, I'm going to put my teaching out there online. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> that was for sure in some people's goals for the year and for sure not in other people's goals for the year. And yet here we are. Yeah. Right? Um, so the recognition that 
you know, that what we have to offer is important and needed. And the, you know, the, the possibilities of offering are, are expansive, right? If, if it's not an in-person class at that location, because it's not now, um, it doesn't mean that we're not still teachers and that, you know, people need, people need yoga more than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there, there are any number of hurdles in terms of technology, mm. um, you know, internet speed, bandwidth, um, software, hardware, and so on. And there's going to be trial and error, right? Like there's going to be failures. Like you didn't click record or you didn't click this or, or, you know, in every day in my house, like the, you know, this morning, our neighbor's crew that is redoing her swimming pool, they started jackhammering at eight o'clock this morning. Um, so, you know, our earlier Zoom meeting that we had that started at eight o'clock oh. that was right next to two jackhammers um, was like, oh, okay, oh, like we need a plan B, right? So, you know, go consider that, that even the room that you're in, um, you know, if your neighbor's having something's loud, like, you know, something beyond your control, yeah. um, you know, what are you going to do then? If people are able to record themselves and watch themselves as teachers, what should they look at or look for? Well, I say, first of all, practice a lot of self-compassion, <laughs> right? Look for, look, look for your courage, look for your strength, look for your beauty and know that hearing your voice in a recording it sounds very different than hearing your voice while you are talking. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, and that can be disconcerting and that can be uncomfortable. Um, I, I experience this all the time. My daughter, Madeline, who's, who's in the background here, she's 11. Um, she experiences this. She goes, do I sound like that? Yeah. <laughs> and so we have that like, I look like that. I sound like that. I walk like that. Like, look, why do my feet turn out so much? I'm just talking about myself. Like, um, and go, that's you. That's you, right? But you're having such a, an objective experience of the subject, right? That it's gonna, it's, it can be almost overwhelming, right? And it's very possible to get very critical. You're like, oh, I don't, I don't like myself or I don't look good or I don't sound I don't sound like me. Mm-hmm. So all that self-compassion, right? Know, know that, that that objective outside in experience of yourself is, is quite different yeah. than the inside out experience. Um, then further, I would say, well, what, you know, be clear on your goals as teacher, right? what you're trying to accomplish in that class. And that if you are reviewing your class in the recording, um, review it through the lens of your goals, mm. um, which would be a feedback process, right? Feed, feedback is any useful and meaningful information that we get about how we're doing towards our goals, right? So what kind of class were you offering? What, you know, what was the offering? And, And how did you do 
Like, and you can look at your choices, what you did, what you didn't do, according to the experience that you were seeking to offer. Mm, that's a great tip. Awesome. We're going to have to wrap it up. Is there anything else you want to add before we finish? If there's one takeaway you'd like listener to leave with, what would that be? Well, I'd say, you know, in, in kind of current times, the, the uncertainty, the, you know, every day is another tidal wave of news and information and restrictions. Um, all of that can bring anxiety and fear and uncertainty um, to, to affirm that, right? That, that that's, that's okay. All of those feelings are okay. And for yoga teachers thinking, you know, thinking that like, well, you know, I'd like to feel more grounded in order to put my classes online, um, you don't need to feel more grounded to put your classes online. That, that, you know, the way you're feeling is similar to the way that, that so many others are feeling. And so don't wait. Don't, don't think that like, you know, I need to feel centered and calm and stable in order to, to offer my teaching voice right now. Um, Cause when is that going to be? Like, yeah. When, when is everything going to calm down and become, you know, like what even is normal? Perfect. Yeah. 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 So, you know, again, kind of reference back to Bhagavad Gita, the, you know, the the conversation with Lord Krishna happens in, in Arjuna's greatest crisis. It is in his breakdown, in his overwhelm, in his like lose it experience that, that we get, those conversations of the, the deeper possibilities, right? So it is in the crisis that transformation is most potent, is most possible, right? So embrace the crisis that we're in, embrace the crisis that you're in and, and see that as the opportunity, not as the obstacle, right? It's the opportunity. So don't wait, now's the time. Awesome. I'll put all your info in the show notes. In the meantime, where's the best place for people to find you if they want to ask more questions about either the program or yourself, or they want to study with you in some way? Um, our website, so themazemethod.com, as well as Maison Yoga, M-A-Z-E-O-N yoga.com. Um, and you can find me readily through, you know, all the social media channels, as well as through our websites. It all, it all gets to me and my partner, um, and wife in all things, Tracy Silver. So Great. We're, we're here as much as we can be. So thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Yeah. yeah thank you. Be well. Thank you. You too. Thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review anywhere you listen to help other people find it. And if you want it to continue, don't forget, please visit patreon.com slash on and off your mat to donate or become a VIP member and get your hands on all our exclusive content from the past months. Check out the show notes to find more info about our guests of today, Noah Maze, or my top five biggest takeaways from this episode. And before you go, I just want to say a last thank you to Alexander Saba working in the background, creating the music, editing, and mastering this podcast. Once again, guys, thank you for listening. Until next time.